Welcome to This Next Song's About, a podcast helping songwriters and musicians level up their craft for industry success. I'm your host, Stevie Matz. Now again, I'm sorry to start this episode with some bad news. This is the fourth and final season of this podcast. But as you may have heard on the last episode, I was recently shortlisted for the International Women's Podcast Awards for an episode I did with Susan Catania from last season. And though I didn't win, it really meant a lot to me to be nominated. And it's given me the boost I needed to do this final season and revisit some of my favorite episodes. Now, this episode, I'm looking back at a conversation I had with musician Essa Balu, also known to many as Jen Mundia. Essa Balu has had a really interesting career as a singer-songwriter, an artist, producer, who's now living in Los Angeles, making her way in music out there. I truly loved this conversation. Funnily enough, it turned out we had something in common. I had recently changed my name to Stevie as part of my non-binary identity, and she had recently taken on the artist moniker of Essa Balu, and we shared some very personal conversations that we'd had with our dads about both of those changes. Worth noting that this was recorded in 2020, so some of the conversation will make sense within that context. I hope you enjoy it. Jen Mundia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. We were supposed to meet (laughs) (laughs) about this time last year, I think. Yeah, I guess it was supposed to be the next show. (laughs) Yeah, I was very upset that we had to obviously postpone that show. And at at the time we thought, cool, postponed it a month or two. Little did we know. And obviously things have changed dramatically in the last year. You have also moved to L.A. So congratulations on your move. That's very exciting. How long were you in New York before you moved? That's a complicated question. I was there for, let's say, eight years. But I actually moved to New York right after college for a couple of years. And then I left for five. And then I came back for eight. So I'm 65 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Do you miss it at all? Because you said you moved in September of 2020. Yeah, I do. You know when I missed it was the election, was the day that we found out that Joe Biden was president. Because I'm in Inglewood, so I'm not downtown LA or anything. Mm. So my roommate and I were like celebrating just the two of us in our apartment. <laughs> and I was watching everybody's Instagram stories of the madness in the streets. And I was like, dang, that was the first time I really missed New York. Yeah, being here, the relief and just emotional release of it all was crazy. So we're going to talk about your single Wildfire. So when did you release Wildfire? I believe it was May 2020. Time's blurring. May or June. (laughs) It was the first single that you released under your new pseudonym. Yeah, that's a very fancy word. But yes, that's what we would call it. Or a moniker. Ooh, yeah. What made you decide to pick a new moniker and start releasing music under that? I had planned to do that before COVID. And I had this name in my mind. And my producer and I were talking about it and it was going to be Siren with a Y. And I was like, no one else has that name. And I looked up on Spotify and I was like, no one has that name. And then, of course, I went back two months later and there's a million Sirens, of course, female singers. And then by the time I was trying to change over, because my idea in my mind was that I would just be starting fresh, starting with a new idea, creating this new body of work. Because Jen Mundia is attached to many things. I have a LinkedIn profile. I've had a million jobs and done a lot of things. And I'm proud of those things. But I think in terms of my artistry, it was time to go full in. You know, it's funny because it's like almost me going fully into myself, but calling myself something different. And so I thought about it for a while. I meditated on it and that name came to me. So Esabala was the village where my grandmother lives. My dad's mom. I called my mom 
because we're very close. And I was like, can I use that name? What do you think? And I was jazzed about it. And then she's like, you got to ask your dad because that's his mom. And I was like, because <laughs> my dad, I don't even talk like that. So I called him a few days later and we talked for a couple of hours and I took all these notes. I learned more about my family history in Kenya than I had ever learned. Oh, wow. And so it was like a connection point for him and I. It was really cool to just talk to him and have him be really excited to share that with me and made me feel, I know this is right now. Like it's all sinking into place. And a lot of things that have come about since I started that pseudonym have felt really kismet. They felt like they just fell into place. And it just has been indicative of the first moment that I started the name. It's funny sometimes when you do something like that, which is really coming into yourself. And you hadn't maybe, I don't want to say dared to do it. Maybe there was something holding you back from doing that before. And now you've fully embraced it. And suddenly all of these opportunities are popping up and presenting themselves to you. And that's the universe. It's the universe, baby. You know, I think for me, Jen Mandia was, I can always stop because I'm always going to be Jen Mandia. That's on my birth certificate. But when you pick a different name, it's a thing. We had this conversation before we started taping. You were like, what should I call you? People really will step into it. Like I had a podcast interview back when Wildfire was brand new. And he just immediately called me Asabalu. And I was like, oh, like I can do this? So even when you said, what do you want me to call you? I was like, let's talk about it because I'm not lying to anybody as if I'm not Jen anymore. It's just, this is something Mm -hmm. else that I'm doing and I can step into that when I want to. It's interesting. Until we just talked about this, I hadn't even put it together. So I changed my name to Stevie. Uh So I was formerly known as Steph. Previously on the podcast, I've been known as Steph and I have decided Mm -hmm. to embrace a non-binary existence and I've gone with Stevie. Love it. When I said, it's interesting what happens and how more comfortable and authentic you feel in that name. I hadn't actually put that together. That was exactly the same thing that you did, but yet with an artist name. Yeah, I love that parallel. When did you decide to make that change? Very recently. Yeah. (laughs) You feel good about it? I do. I feel really good about it. It's not everywhere yet. I started thinking about maybe a year ago. Yeah. And just had analysis paralysis of, oh my God, where do I start with this? Do Mm -hmm. I start it on Instagram? Do I start it on Facebook? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. You get it. (laughs) Were you scared? Terrified. Utterly terrified. The funny thing was I had a conversation. This is turning into it being about me. This is not about me. Because I'm, in, I'm intrigued. <laughs> I'm very intrigued and I want to know. <laughs> the fun, I think the funny thing was I had a conversation with my dad and I was very nervous to talk to my dad about it because... Parallels. Yes, the parallels, right? <laughs> but Stephanie was a name uh-huh. that he and my mom had chosen for me. And stupidly, I felt by choosing a different name for myself that I was somehow rejecting a choice that they had made for me. So telling my dad, I was so nervous about it. And then eventually I got to a place where I was like, no, I can tell him. And he was brilliant. Told him about my identity first. And then he called me out the next week and said, what should I call you? I'm going to cry. It was adorable. (laughs) That's the whole thing. If somebody identifies in a different way as you do, what should I call you? Or what do you prefer to be called? And it's really nice when somebody asks that. For me, there's always a, oh, I feel seen. Yes. And it's funny, like what people slip into automatically. Like if somebody didn't really know you and they came on and they would just call you Stevie because they saw it on the screen. It's just interesting what people will slip into once you are comfortable. It's all about you, really, Mm. right? Like you make that decision and then people follow suit. But if you aren't fully there, then like you're not really allowing other people to be, right? Exactly. So I love that. I love the parallels. The universe is talking. (laughs) (laughs) She knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think you should go by Esabalu from now on okay. forevermore. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> but this is your choice and you make your decisions. <laughs> so tell me about Wildfire. Tell me about the story behind the song, first of all. 
Wildfire was written by me and Brandon John, who also produced it, and our friend Eric Penn, both amazing songwriters and great guys. I started writing with them a few years ago, and now it's been probably like three or four years. And I remember a friend linked me with Eric specifically, and he was like, you got to meet my friend. But you know how it is. You've been playing music for a long time. People always be like, you got to meet my friend. They play music and you never know what you're going to run into, right? And maybe I shouldn't be so cynical, but (laughs) people could be, you could be like, oh, that's really nice that they play music on the side. But as somebody who's dedicated their life to music, you just never know what you're going to get. And it's also really hard. It's creating a relationship, right? So even if that person's very musically Mm -hmm. talented, you never know if you're going to gel. And then on top of that, there's working with men. And generally, men are very, I don't even know the word to use, but they act like they do in any professional situation where they own the stage. They're there. You're like just working with them. And so I really was Mm -hmm. nervous about all those things to the point I'm never late. I was late. I came. I wasn't prepared. And I watched these guys write a song in four minutes. And I was like, oh, cool. When did you guys write that song? And they were like, right now. And so then I just became Mm -hmm. really nervous. And the other thing that I love about them is they all complimented me. Like it was Brandon, Eric, and our friend Bruce, and then a couple other guys that people bring an entourage to the studio. And they all were like, I love heads or tails. I love this. Complimenting my songs, my voice. They're like, your voice is so dope. And that's just not something you see. I don't care who, like what gender, whatever. People, because of their insecurities, they don't come into a room complimenting you anymore. That's just not a thing. So immediately I was just felt warm and at home with them. So Eric, mm-hmm. Brandon, and I wrote that song. And then Brandon and I started working together a few months later. And that's when we wrote Dream You, which is the second single that I put out. And right before the pandemic, we were finishing up Wildfire, (laughs) not knowing what was going to happen. So I finished the vocals for that on my own in my home studio in New York. And I just said, this is like an 80s bop. It doesn't go with anything else that I've written. So let's just release a single. And it was under Esabalu, I decided. And I told the guys and they were like, cool. No problem. Once again, like we just talked about, everybody was on board, right? And I told them, like, hey, do you mind if we release this under Esavalu? Like, tag everything as Esavalu. They were all on board. We talked about this as well, that it's hard to get people to transfer over. Like, I had to post things to Jen Mundia and people still wanted to follow mm-hmm. me there. I got the most views there, whatever. It's fine. But we basically decided to, to release it as a single and it did pretty well for me to be releasing it on my own. And, and then I made a quarantine music video that I think we're going to check out later. So it was just like a really fun experience. And it was a really fun thing to do in quarantine because we were just all kind of pulling our hair out and going a little crazy. And I had this project to sink myself into. How long did this video take you? Because you've got four or five different sets or settings, you in different (laughs) outfits doing different things. Yeah, it was crazy. My friend and I were just talking about this because he wants to do some stop motion. And he Mm. was like, how'd you do this? I have an app. And I was like, no, I did that all in like iMovie, (laughs) Um, like one shot at a time. Yeah. So I basically took my notebook that has like everything and it has my journaling. It has my songwriting. It has like when I like stream church. It has when I like take notes on like seminars. And I just started writing like a storyboard. And so I started drawing. I'm a terrible artist, like visual artist. And I started drawing like, oh, here's me on the bed and I'm filing my nails. And here's like Legos and here's me on the couch. And then also I started filming and then my roommate at the time left for a week. And so I was like, oh, I could do some kitchen shots. Then I started filming more. (laughs) I had, I ordered all these wigs. I've never worn wigs in my life. I ordered wigs from the internet. It was like stressful because it's like, oh my God, when is it going to come? These are like $6 wigs, like real shake and go. And yeah, it was just like super fun, pretty cheap to do. And I just kept like adding. I did the stop motion Lego thing. And then I was like, no, it's not good enough. And I just spent another four hours the next day doing it again. Like I said, it was a great project for when Mm -hmm. we were still like, how long is this going to last? And we were going a little stir crazy. So yeah, that's the vibe. We weren't COVID fatigued at that point. We were like, oh, I could just, I could do a few things just to keep me tied over. 
Anyway, let's take a watch of the video.
love it. I love it. I especially love that 80s guitar, like, at the end. BJ Brown, downtown BJ Brown, shout out. <laughs> but we were, like, messaging whilst that was playing, and, like, I kept giggling. Like, the more I watch it, the more I giggle through it. Like, you're just having so much fun. For real, I had a lot of fun. And it was funny, because you know how I'm sure you've done, like, videos here and there, and it takes a long time to edit a video. And so you have to watch things over and over and over again. And it was, I still, I laughed, like, on time 100, I laughed. It was like so much fun to make. <laughs> and I had never really done anything like that before. And it was just so fun. Like I don't, like I said, don't wear wigs. And it was like, we're in the middle of this pandemic. I put on fake lashes in my apartment. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it was just over the top fun. Oh, I've done catwalk shows for myself. <laughs> I've awarded myself Grammys on a Saturday night after a few gin and tonics. <laughs> I'm not judging. <laughs> not only Grammys, I think I won an Oscar. Wow. You were going for yeah. that EGOT. <laughs> Absolutely. There were one or two things that I just wanted to point out. You put on a couple of t-shirts during that video. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one is a quote by Issa Rae, rooting for everybody black. And the other one is very black and very proud. One of those by itself could just be your favorite t-shirt, but two of them together, I think there's a message. Yeah. I mean, the first message was Issa Rae, call me. I want to be your friend and I want you to put my music <laughs> in your show because... Shout out to Ethan, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if it was necessarily like a I'm black and I'm proud, like in terms of a political statement. Part of it was representing these black owned businesses that are selling this apparel. So I could tag them and people could potentially buy. But also I am proud of being black and here I am being black in my apartment and being ridiculous. So here's a message about it, you know? Yeah. It was beautiful black woman just owning her music and her stuff and just loving it. Boom. It's cool. That's yeah, it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to ask a question about obviously 2020 and social justice, but with regard to music. And I just want to ask, has anything changed for you in terms of some of the things that you have been asked to do music wise, whether there have been like virtual shows that you've done or anything that you've been asked to get involved in? And has that felt different for you in a positive way or... Yeah, I mean, shows are limited because of the pandemic, mm. but I did obviously see an uptick. It was July or whenever George Floyd was murdered was like Black History Month again, where everybody's like, can you mm -hmm. play this? And can you do this? And you want to talk about this? And which was like, you know, I had to just give myself the grace to be able to say no. And I'm, I'm a Virgo, so I'm not opposed to stacking my schedule and saying yes to everything. And that was a month where I decided to say no to some people. And, and not even if I felt, oh, I'm being used in this way, but just more like I am allowed to say no with who I'm working with, with what I'm putting my energy towards, with who I feel like is pandering towards me. That is not something that I regret because at the end of the day, like that's not my work to do. If somebody's asking me to do a show because they want to make themselves feel better about their lineup, then that's like not really my work to do. Like even if I do want to represent Black people well, and I know that what I do, I do well, mm. it's other people's turn to step up to the plate and make things right within themselves, whether that's like internal work or how they represent themselves. And I'm glad that you <laughs> felt you can say no. I think having the ability within yourself to say no is hugely important and gives you that space to step back and recharge after everything that happened last year. It must have been nice to just be like, actually, I need mm -hmm, to take mm -hmm. time. Yeah. As artists, we are the storytellers, right? Mm -hmm. And leaning into that as a way of processing is exactly. so helpful. So you went to Berkeley to study music. 
Did you train to be an audio producer or what was the trajectory? So it all ties in. That's how life works. I was originally going to go to college for musical theater because I was in North Carolina and that's really all there was in terms of being a professional like opera or theater. And I loved it. I loved theater. I was in musicals in high school and I enjoyed that. But then my friend went to Berkeley summer program the summer before our senior year. And she was like, Jen, you got to like check out Berkeley. I didn't even, I haven't even heard of it, you know, because I'm like 16 from North Carolina, like a small little town called Apex. And, you know, a lot of musicians grow up knowing about Berkeley and dreaming about Berkeley, but I didn't know about it. And so Kyla went to Berkeley summer program five weeks, which is funny because later when I went to Berkeley, I was an RA for the five week program and took care of those little kids. But she was like, you got to go to Berkeley. Like you just sing and you like create songs with people and da da da, all this stuff. So I looked it up and I auditioned for like theater programs in North Carolina. And then I somehow got on a plane to Boston, even though my parents had no money. And I auditioned or I went to audition and I got snowed out. (laughs) So then my parents had to come with more money to get me on another plane. A few months later to audition, (laughs) Berkeley gave me like six cents towards my tuition. I was like so excited that I got a scholarship. But like in the grand scheme of how expensive Berkeley is, it was basically nothing, which is fine. I felt like somebody Mm -hmm. just forgetting something. And I went, yeah. And so my thought in my mind was, I can't go to school for performance because the school is so expensive. And so I went and I was like, I'm going to study audio engineering. And Berkeley at the time, I don't know what it is now, but it was 24% female. And the audio engineering program was like four women. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, in terms of women in audio production, the number is 3% or something. Yeah. And I mean, that was a thing that was in my mind and we talked about it. But honestly, there were a decent amount of audio engineering teachers. So that was nice. Find the women and they're like, what's up? What are we doing? In my mind, Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not going to go to school for performance. So like Berkeley, you have to perform a bit. You have to have an instrument. So I went for voice. You have to do a certain amount of lessons. You have to do a certain amount of ensemble. So I did sing. I did perform, but it wasn't my focus. Like I was a total studio rat. I worked in the studio office. And then I graduated and I went to New York, like I said, right away. And I went to studios. It took me a while to even get into a studio because I was so scared. And I just was like, no, I don't want to really do this, which is crazy. (laughs) And part of it was a lot of my friends were going into the big studios and those studios were closing. This is 2007. This is like the end of analog consoles. This is the end of major studios. Like everything was starting to be in the box in your home. That was the beginning of it. It was like when I started my career was like when everybody was like, oh, we can do this from home. So it was like kind of a nightmare time to start up a career in audio engineering. And also I was scared. I was a woman. I was a black woman. And when you do go to those big studios, you are a runner for years. And like I said, studios were closing. I was in New York for like a year and a half. And I worked in a couple of studios as like an intern, basically watching somebody write a song, which of course for a songwriter is torture. And so I left. There's other things in between. But yeah, I left New York after a little while. (laughs) That's really helpful. To be able to produce your own music in today's world is so important. So obviously you're ahead of the game than many people having to just figure out garage band and do a track here and there before you can go into a studio. But going into a studio, the few that there are can be ridiculously expensive and you often don't have the cash to do it. People do release music literally made in their bedrooms and living rooms and there's no shame in it. I feel like there probably was a lot of shame in that before. 
there was a point when it was niche, like, oh my God, so-and-so made this whole album. Even like, oh, hmm. Bonnie Bear went to the woods and created an album. Or, you know what I mean? There's a moment for things like, oh, Chance the Rapper, he's unsigned. He did all, he had all this success, right? So there's like right. a moment for those things and then it passes. So there's like this moment before where it's like, you made that where? And then there's a moment where it's like, yo, this person won a Grammy with their home album. And then it's a moment when everybody's doing it. So it's like, you have to find those moments in history. Yeah. Or there's got to be some gimmick about it. Like, oh, I did this with one mic in one living room. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, thank you for sharing that. It's an interesting perspective. I certainly don't get to hear from that many female producers and certainly fewer even like black female producers. Recently, you've got picked up by Ulta Beauty for an ad sync, which is exciting. <laughs> Congratulations. So what is next for you? So you've moved out to LA. The pandemic is still on, so it's hard to find your way on the scene in an IRL. Yes. IRL yes. How are you doing that? And what's the plan as and when the world resumes. Yeah, I'm producing my own project, a five-song EP as of right now. And it's funny, imposter syndrome is a bitch because I'm over here with a whole ass degree from Berkeley, worried about producing my own thing. Because for so many years, I've been lending my voice to projects. And even if it's a co-write, it's still me handing things over to someone. So now I'm in this process where I'm recording songs that were written a little while ago and grabbing the files, project managing everything. And it's super fun, but I'm somebody who likes to be in charge. But I've realized that for so many years, I have been like, oh, here are the vocal files, right? Or here's the song or here's the scratch guitar track. And now... You're directing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Even today, I was talking to my good friend, Christine Cruda of Little Cruta. She's doing a string arrangement on one of my songs that I'm really excited about. And I just love her dearly. And being able to work with her and be at the helm is really exciting. This is like a full band project and I'm really nervous, but really excited. So that's the next thing for me, putting myself out there for competitions. And in terms of the LA scene, it's really funny because I've been co-writing and collaborating with people out here, but people really will respond to you being in a different geographic location. Esabalu, it has been a pleasure to talk with you. Likewise, Stevie. Thank you so much for joining me and opening up to me. I appreciate it. And... I wish you all the best in your new L.A. home. Thank you. This is awesome. That was Esabalu. And don't forget her song Wildfire, which I still love and have on my playlists. Make sure that you follow her on Spotify. As she mentioned, the EP that she was working on has now come out and it is called Moon. Go and check it out. It is beautiful. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you want to catch me online, you can find me on Instagram because I don't know how to use TikTok. At I am Stevie Mans. I'll see you next time on this next song's about.